Thank you, Penny, and good morning, everyone. I gather we now have about twice as many people as we had online at the beginning of the service, so it'll be interesting to see how many of them leave during the sermon. And uh, it's been a good week for me. I got vaccinated on Monday. I even got to go to a football stadium for it, Reading Football Ground. So that was fun, and no, no major ill effects, which I'm uh, very glad about, and I hope you've had a good week too. But it's been an interesting week, hasn't it, as well? I'm sure you agree. And uh, like me, you've probably been gripped by a news story about how those with so much already going for them have sought to ruthlessly exploit that uh, for obscene financial gain, only to see their reputations trashed in the face of public revulsion and government condemnation. But that's enough about David Cameron. (laughs) Good, I'm glad you laughed at that one. (laughs) We also, of course, had the disgraceful European Super League, which, as well as politics, football is an interest of mine, as many of you know. And there were some heroes of the resistance, weren't there? And perhaps, predictably, Manchester United star and general all-round superstar, national hero, Marcus Rashford, for example, tweeted that football without fans is nothing. However, this retweet of that sermon, inspired by a former Manchester United player, may have slightly missed the point. (laughs) Can you read it? There we go. Hopefully online you can. Apologies if you don't remember the incident that lies behind that joke. But more seriously, uh, for those conflicted footballers on Monday and Tuesday, I expect there was genuine fear about what their employers would do if they spoke out before the Super League collapsed. And that then, of course, by Tuesday night, gave way to a real freedom again uh, once it was all over. And our sermon series this term, as Simon's already said, is also about freedom and fear. For us, of course, the fears are different, and the freedom God longs for us too is different. But as a title for the sermon series, it seems fitting and right in this season of transition and recovery for the country um, and for this church as for any, as does the section of the Bible on which it's based, John 14 to 17. For there's a lot of fear there too, as the disciples face up to the revelation of Jesus' imminent arrest and death. In it, Jesus has to lift them from the floor and prepare them for the mission to come. But the question that I want to ask before we begin is, do we want that freedom? What Jesus has promised, or what he promised the disciples was difficult, very difficult. It would take commitment, courage, perseverance, and sacrifice, and the supernatural filling of the Holy Spirit. And it's no different for us. So the question to have in your mind throughout the sermon, and indeed throughout the sermon series, is will you ask for it? Will you choose to seek new passion, new focus, new infilling, and as the opportunities increase, as they surely will, Leave the apathy, the inertia, and the timidity of the pandemic behind. 
We've all been struggling with it, haven't we? And actually at the prayer meeting on Friday, we all shared how this was a common experience for us all and prayed into it. But the question God asks of us all today is will we leave that behind? Will we choose life, risk and fruitfulness instead of remaining a pale shadow of our former selves? So let's pray now that our hearts are open to that message. So Father God, please do soften our hearts to hear the message of this sermon and of this upper room discourse when Jesus prepares his disciples for the mission to come. And would you use it to provide the refocusing and the remotivating and the equipping that we as they truly need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so a simple structure through what I want to share today. The first thing is I want to talk about what is fear. What was their fear, the disciples, and what is ours? And that's going to be um, at least half the sermon actually on that. Then what is freedom? What was it for them and what is it for us? And then very briefly at the end. How does this passage in particular guide us on our way? So off we go first then with the topic of fear. And of course, our focus here is bad fear, not the fear of the Lord that we most definitely are called to have. And we know it's the former that Jesus has in mind because he begins our passage with the words, do not let your hearts be troubled, making clear that this is a fear that shouldn't be permanent or captious capture us at all. Rather, it's something that through the teaching that he gives that follows can simply melt away as the bigger picture takes its place. And yet fear is understandable, isn't it? In fact, it's almost inevitable until that bigger picture is grasped. Jesus knows that, and that's why his tone here throughout is gentle and empathetic just as he understands the fear that we're struggling with right now. For the disciples, of course, the fear was abandonment and terror at what was going to happen to Jesus and potentially to them when he'd gone. Yet what follows is probably the longest section of teaching and one of the most famous and much loved in any of the Gospels, speaking peace, hope and power into their scared and fragile hearts. And that's why we're looking at it this term. Which he does initially through the biggest picture of all, their eternal destiny. And the message is clear. Whatever may happen to you in this life, your place in the next life is assured. Nothing can threaten that. For Jesus himself will arrange it and take you there. Persecuted Christians and many other Christians through the ages have found great comfort from these words. And that's important. That's precious. But it's not actually our primary focus today. And neither is fear of death, actually, even though uh, for many that's been uh, something that's been all too real as we've seen friends, family or acquaintances succumb to COVID's destructive power in the last year or so. But rather today, 
My focus is spiritual fear that our enforced isolation and inactivity has brought, related to that inertia, apathy, and timidity with which I began. Brought on, of course, by circumstances beyond our control, but which we do have it within our power to pray about and to choose to leave behind, even though, of course, we desperately need God's help in order to do it. And that's what I'm urging us to do today. And for some, it does start with the mental confidence to actually begin living again as we used to live, as regulations, as it now seems confident, uh, the government seems confident will happen as they continue to loosen. And that means resuming doing the things that used to be normal for us before, including, of course, going to church. And we've got room for about half of our usual Sunday attendance pre-COVID in the church now over the two services. And we've definitely got room here uh, today at this service. And you can just turn up until we start uh, becoming too full. You can just turn up. And I really encourage you to do so. Will you come back? And not just on special occasions like Easter or Claire's last Sunday, but week on week. We'd love it if you could. And others of us, though, especially um, those of us who are already here, need to help others get their confidence back. And remember that this is what they need as the freedoms return. For after so many months in which unnecessary contact has been understandably and rightly discouraged or forbidden, we instinctively still draw back, don't we? We feel hesitant or pushy in taking the initiative in trying to meet up with others. And that's understandable. But actually, and this is really important, when we think about everyone's mental health and well-being, as the government and all the psychologists tell us, well, actually, for everyone's mental health, social interaction, physical activity, and investing in relationships is exactly what people need. Recovery from isolation can't come soon enough. Economically, socially, mentally, emotionally, not to mention spiritually for our nation. Let's be those who speed it up, not slow it down, at least as regulations relax. But there are the confidence issues, actually, that we were struggling with anyway, even before the pandemic Confidence that in an increasingly secular society, as we happen to live in in this country, Christian witness and boldness still has a place. Yet it quite plainly does. Absolutely, absolutely does. And this series and Jesus' teaching will make that very clear. In every generation, this one, the next one, as in every previous one, people need Jesus now as much as they've ever done. We know that, don't we? Because we know what he means for us. And so if the cultural opposition we face is not a reason to hold back and it isn't, well then the vulnerability of the disciples after Pentecost and as they anticipate it here in this passage ought to spur us on. For they were at risk of serious persecution, really serious, 
imprisonment, beatings, execution. They weren't just theoretical risks. They were reality as the next few decades would sadly show. If anyone had a reason for hesitation, well then surely it was them. And yet that wasn't God's will for them. And it isn't for us either. He's not held back by secularization. And he knows exactly how to penetrate heads and hearts today just as much as he did back then. He knows who is open and who is not. And he can lead us to the harvest if we are only willing to listen and obey. I know that you know that. But it's one thing to know it in our heads. It's another to know it in our hearts. And then to choose to live it out. So will you ask him to? And if you're not feeling the passion or the confidence, will you ask for it? It's fine not to feel it, but it's what you do next that matters. Will you ask God to give you those things? For most of us, that is what leaving behind fear will look like. Not waiting until we change naturally, because that may never happen. And you can certainly be sure that the devil will do everything to make sure that it doesn't. He loves an apathetic church, as C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters made so clear. But instead, choose to follow the example of the father of the boy with the unclean spirit, who cried out to Jesus, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Or to put it another way, as we prayed on Friday, Lord, I want to share my faith. Give me the passion and the desire. Which brings us on to freedom. For of course, to a large extent, freedom is simply the corollary, corollary, corollary sorry, of moving on from fear. For spiritual freedom is to a large part Freedom from fear, fear of judgment from God and fear of negative reaction from others. The former is irrelevant if we put our faith in Jesus and the latter is irrelevant if actually we choose to focus on what God thinks of us and not on other people. Now, no doubt that was Jesus's objective as he prepared his disciples through the teaching he then gives them here. He knew the disciples would face that imprisonment, those beatings, the hunger, the sword. And yet he knew too that they needn't worry about them if they kept their focus, their eyes on glory, not on comfort. And on his own example as he went to the cross. Which means for us that in our material, our comfort-focused, consumerist world, it's not the things that we have that matter. It's whether we're beholden to the things we have or obsessed with the things or the comfort that we don't. It's the opposite of idolatry, which is loving other things and people more than we love God. But let me say what freedom isn't also in God's eyes despite what some Christians like to believe. And that is that it's freedom not to go to church, not, or not to come online to church. Freedom not to go to a small group, not to read the Bible together, not to pray together, not to be accountable to others either. And there are several excuses we can make for this, to justify them to ourselves. One, 
is pandemic-specific, that we've got out of the habit of doing things that simply weren't possible for much of this time. But as we all know, there were still ways to engage, and thank you, everyone who has. And besides, they become irrelevant anyway as freedoms return. And another excuse is gospel-specific, and we convince ourselves that because Jesus has died for us and we don't need to earn our salvation, well then, it doesn't matter what we do. We can choose to practice our religion when or how it feels right. Yet the Apostle Paul clearly took that on, didn't he, many times. And here's just one example when he said, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. That's the balance between freedom, but also giving God what he is due and what is good for us. Indeed, as the writer to the Hebrews famously put it, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing and not returning to meeting together, to put it in today's context, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. What does this reflect? That Christianity in a silo doesn't work. We need each other and we're meant to enjoy each other. So let's seize every opportunity that we possibly can to receive and give that encouragement to each other whenever we get the chance. And a third is lifestyle or life circumstances specific. And this is a big issue for some people, where we say the busyness of life means our participation in Christian community most of the time needs to miss out. Yet in doing so, we ignore the clear biblical principle of putting first things first, the most important things first. And that true freedom is actually about being who we were made to be And doing what we were made to do. Fulfilling our potential. That God-given command to enjoy life and enjoy him forever. That we've been made to live this life fully, wholeheartedly, empowered by the Spirit. And fired up by the church and by each other. That's the model the Bible gives because it's the only one that works. In the 21st century, as much as any other century that there's been. With the promise that only then will fruitfulness come. Which actually is what we all want, isn't it? To have an impact on others. To make a difference in the world to our friends, our community, our family, our workplace. To provoke others to draw closer to God. Rather than confirm their assumption that he is someone they can safely ignore. And it's here that I want to celebrate, actually, and you might think that's a strange word to use, but celebrate what's going on in Deep Cut starting next week. As you might know, after just about two months of the church plant starting there, it had to be suspended when the pandemic struck, and then through circumstances also beyond our control, the church building itself, St. Barbara's, was deemed unsafe and had to close. And progress towards a new building, temporary or permanent, has been painfully or frustratingly slow. So the planting team was left 
with a choice. Continue to press the pause button or take the opportunities that are there now, even if the ideal conditions most certainly are not. And I'm proud of the fact that they have chosen the latter. On Easter Day, they had their first service there since Christmas. They met outside St. Barbara's Church. Over 40 people turned up, including some people from the street, from the community who just saw it and joined in. And that's an advantage of meeting outside, isn't it? It's a lot more visible and a lot easier to join. And they're going to be meeting there again outside from next week indefinitely until a better option comes along. And we'll we'll pray for them again at the end of the service. And isn't that exactly the sort of thing that Jesus would have us do as he wanted his disciples to do? Doing mission, even when it's hard or uncomfortable or risky, or in this context, slightly mad. And possibly cold. <laughs> so let's ask God what a similar commitment and determination to witness looks like for us here at St. Paul's and in our networks, in our communities, and our families and friends where we live. Let's be inspired by them. But now I want to finish with what is the main lesson for us, I think, from this passage in particular, which um, I think. Uh, I think I can summarize in four words. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. And that's got two main applications that I want to highlight today. First, that he is the entry point. He's the only way to heaven and forgiveness and the life that God has planned for us. And don't let anyone else, anything else in our relativistic culture convince you Otherwise, there is no basis in Scripture or anywhere else to believe that there is any entry point than Jesus. So if you haven't yet invited Jesus into your life as Lord and Saviour, do it. It's the most important decision you'll ever make and the best decision you'll ever make. Go for forgiveness, eternal life, And a wonderful life in this life. And if you have done that, well, he's then called you for a purpose, to a mission that others may come to know him too. So the key to that mission is to talk about Jesus. Jesus, the way. To talk about what he's done in your life, what he's done for the world, and what he's going on doing right now. That he is the one who offers hope. Hope of peace and purpose in this life. And hope of a legacy of blessing for others to look back upon on your deathbed. And hope of life in eternity with him. No one else and nothing else offers anything like that. This really is the greatest news for this generation as much as it has ever been. And yet sharing this good news, as I've always already hinted, is rarely easy. We will get resistance, and some will prefer that such a conversation never be had. But some will welcome it, and some will be changed by it. So be bold, keep praying for opportunities, and make Jesus the way central to all that you share. But as well as the message, Jesus is the way because he's also the sustaining presence to help us live it out. 
And here are some of the things that Jesus will go on to say in the passages in this series. I will do whatever you ask in my name. And I'm excited about what Jan's going to say about that next week. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I will teach you all things and I will remind you of everything I said to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I could go on and on, but hopefully the point is already clear. Jesus is with us, even though he ascended and left this earth physically. And he walks with us every moment of every day. Our job is to welcome him, to talk with him, to listen and obey him, and to trust in his love, his protection, and his care. Whatever we face in joining in with his mission, he will not leave us. And walking with him, doing his work, is the life we were made for. It is life. It's life in all its fullness with the promise of eternal life in paradise with him to come. We need to stop. What I've shared today will be unpacked in far greater depth in the weeks to come, and it will equip us for his mission. It will lead us into that freedom, away from that fear, as those mission possibilities increase more and more. But I want to end with a question with which I began. Do you want that freedom, that life in all its fullness? And do you want to leave behind that fear, that apathy, and that half-heartedness with which we're all struggling right now? Well, if the answer is yes, I want to pray for you. To pray that Jesus would meet you in your desire for him and draw you to himself. So let's take a moment of silence just to be honest with God about where your heart is at and about what you want. And then I'll pray for us all. Lord Jesus, thank you that you understand our struggles. You understand our fear. Would you draw us to yourself now? Would you make that fear melt away? Would you fill us with passion and desire and confidence to live for you again? To step forward into that mission as those mission opportunities increase. Fire us up. Fill us up. And get us ready for all that you are calling us to do. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.
We're going to listen to a final song now. And I'm sure you'll agree it's fitting for this theme of moving from fear to freedom. So let's sing if you're at home. Let's hum if you're here. <laughs>